We hope today's message will encourage you and strengthen you with God's Word. We are certainly living in a world that is constantly changing, but God's Word will always be true. The Bible tells us that God is unchanging and will always be all-knowing, all-powerful, the Creator and Sustainer of life. God's Word is truth and life, and we are thankful for the opportunity to share His Word with you each week. This sermon was recorded at Rolling Fork Baptist Church in Nelson County. You can find out more information by visiting rollingforkbc.com or find us on Facebook, listed as Rolling Fork Baptist Church of Boston, Kentucky. And now, let's listen in to this week's message. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And Father, we pray that as we have gathered that we will do everything in this service in remembrance of you and gratitude for all that you have done. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I do not have any blanks on your bulletin for you to fill out. I encourage you to just follow along and, uh, and just be amazed at how much Jesus did in order to protect Judas. The more that I've studied the book of John this year, the more that I've just really appreciated how Jesus had gone above and beyond to take care of the very man that he knew would betray him and cause him to be arrested. And again, this was ordained from the beginning. You know, I told you last week that Jesus picked Judas because Scripture had to be fulfilled and because of all the other reasons. And so today, as we look at this, in verse 18, we continue where we were at last week. He says, I am not speaking to all of you. And this is when he was talking about not, not all of you are clean, but he says, I'm not speaking to all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled that he who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And so I want you to think about, first of all, this is a reference back to Psalms chapter 41, verse 9, when the writer says, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Now, this is very interesting. In the Old Testament, the writer here was David, and David was talking about one of his faithful followers, Ahithophel. And here's the interesting part. After Ahithophel... Uh, betrayed David, he also went out and hung himself. And of course, we know Judas did the same thing when he betrayed Jesus. And when you see the phrase, the idea of lifted his heel against me, this reminded me personally of Matthew chapter 10, verse 14, where Jesus says, if they don't receive your message, then you are to shake off the dust from your feet. In other words, it was a sign against that person. And so when Judas is lifting his heel against Jesus for the price of 30 pieces of silver, he has totally sold out Lord, our Lord and Savior. In verse 19, Jesus says, I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. And I want you to think about what is the word it talking about before it takes place? Well, again, this took place right after verse 18, which was talking about the, the betrayal. So here's what's going on. Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. 
And I'm telling you this now so that when it happens, you'll believe that I truly am the Son of God because I told you exactly how it will happen, when it will happen, and so forth. John 13, 7, what did Jesus say? What I'm doing now you do not understand, but afterwards you will understand. And there's so many things that Jesus did. The, the apostles or the disciples didn't recognize at that moment, but then later they're like, wait a minute, this is what he meant when he said this. In verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives me or receives the one that I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Now, instead of him saying what we saw before, earlier he said, if you receive me, then you receive my Father who has sent me. Now he's added a step to it. He's telling his disciples, whoever receives you as I send you out, whoever receives you receives me, and if they receive me, they receive our Father in heaven. And then in verse 21, we see the emotions of Jesus Christ again. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. I want to ask you a question. How many of you really take in consideration the emotions that Jesus had? Yes, he's God. He's fully God. That's true. But he's also fully man while on the earth. And just think about the things that he went through, the, the righteous anger when he cleaned out the temple or this idea here of being troubled, how he was concerned, how he was worried about. And I say worried, not as far as a worry like we have, but just this deep concern within knowing that the time was close, knowing that one of his friends, one of his 12 disciples, this is the time it's about to happen. It says he was troubled in spirit. It, it means that you could have uh, uh, some pain within. It means that you could be uh, disturbed or unsettled or even thrown into confusion, which I'm sure Jesus was not the least bit confused by any of this, but he was indeed troubled by it, just like what we saw earlier in John 12, when Jesus says, My soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come. Father, glorify your name. Now, notice this. We see at least twice that Jesus was troubled, but yet in John 14, he tells us, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Why is it? that Jesus was okay with being troubled, but he's telling you and I not to be troubled. And here's one of the answers. You and I will never go through anything even close to what Jesus went through. Jesus went through the wrath of God on behalf of you and on behalf of me because of our sin. You and I will never have to do that if we are born again Christians, if we are saved by God through Jesus Christ, 
the things that we face in this world are absolutely nothing compared to what Jesus went through. And he says, let not your hearts be troubled. This is why Paul said that we do not lose heart. That we are encouraged. He said that uh, the momentary trials that we're going through is nothing compared to the glory that we will see one day. You know, we, we say those four words, this too shall pass. And it will. Because God is faithful and he takes care of his people. And it may not be the way that we want it done, but the fact is God is never wrong. He's never uh, doing anything with the wrong motive. God is pure and holy and righteous and just, and he will do what he needs to do. So when Jesus says, one of you will betray me, in verse 22, the disciples looked at one another. And I, I said earlier, it's amazing how much Jesus protected Judas. I said last week that Jesus, Judas was given the same abilities the other disciples were as far as healing the sick, casting out the demons, so that nobody would notice the difference. It wasn't like, okay, 11 disciples are doing miracles, and here's this one guy. He can't do it. Something's wrong. Why is this guy the obvious choice? The disciples had no clue who Jesus was talking about. And then one of the most amazing parts of this story in verse 23, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, being John, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Now, get the picture here. That's a pretty simple question, right? Look at the answer Jesus gives. It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And when he dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas. Now, I mentioned earlier that the pictures of the Lord's Supper, I would encourage you, look on the Internet at all these drawings and paintings of the Lord's Supper and try to identify which one is Judas. And oftentimes you'll find either he's the guy with the money bag or he's the guy with the expression that's totally different than everybody else's. Everybody else has the look of shock and he has this look of anger. And in these pictures, sometimes Judas is sitting like at the end of the table. Now, that doesn't make any sense because here it says that Jesus dipped the bread and handed it to Judas. He didn't say, here, pass this down to the end of the table. I want Judas to eat that piece. He didn't say anything even closely to that. So again, here's how Jesus protects Judas in this case. You have Jesus, and on one side of him is John, but on the other side of him is Judas. And Judas is sitting in one of the spots of special favor, if you will. When you had somebody sitting beside you like that, it was a, it was a, it was a good thing to be uh, lifted up, if you will. And he's sitting beside Jesus, and he turns to him, and he gives him the morsel. And we'll see in a few minutes, he tells him, that what you do, do quickly. And here's the thing, because he's sitting in a place of special attention, John didn't catch what Jesus said. 
And even when Judas leaves the group, nobody thought anything bad about it because they thought he was going to go buy some more stuff for the group. Jesus, knowing this guy's about to sell him out and even betray him with a kiss, a sign of, of friendship and love, he says, I'll take care of you. Sit beside me. You know, if Peter got wind that he was the one, Peter would have stopped him. What did Peter do in the, in the, in the garden when Jesus was arrested? He, he drew the sword and he cut off the ear of one of the soldiers. Peter was very impulsive. And the other disciples would have helped as well. If they thought that this man was about to be the reason that Jesus was arrested and crucified, they would have took him out. But Jesus protected him. The Bible knowledge uh, commentary says that giving the morsel to Judas was an uncaught sign of recognition to John. Another commentary says that a host giving a morsel of bread to a guest was a sign of friendship. How ironic that Jesus' act of friendship to Judas signaled Judas' betrayal of friendship. Judas is also being the recipient of another thing that Jesus said back in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, you've heard that was said that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of the father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. He, Jesus is showing love right to the very end. He's already identified Judas on numerous occasions, but the disciples didn't catch it. In John chapter 6, he says, Did I not choose you? And yet one of you is the devil. And then here we see the betrayal. And then this next phrase, and I know this next phrase is going to cause some problems for some of you. Why does Jesus say, and this is in some of the other books, Matthew, Mark, uh, they have this. It says that it would been better for that man if he had not been born. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Now listen, this is so important. The word that I keep giving you over and over and over again is sovereign. Which means that God is in ultimate control. He answers to no one. He is all authority, all power, and he does whatever he needs to do in order to make his will be done. This is why Romans 8 says that all things work together for the good of those who love him according to his purpose. You may not think, if you were at this moment saying, I don't think it's good that Jesus is about to die, but Jesus knew that was why he was sent. To teach God's word, to promote the gospel, and to give his life as a ransom for his people. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says that Jesus was pointing out to Judas the consequences of his betrayal. 
In Mark 14, 21, again, the idea of being better for that man if he had not been born. You may say, well, what if, what if God had done something different? What if God had not put him through that? Then I would remind you of Romans chapter 9, verse 22. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for the vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand in glory. I remember so many times in vacation Bible school when they would come forward and, and uh, they would do their Bible verses and, and Bubbles group would always have the simple version, God is love. And that's true. And you're like, well, where's the love in this? Please understand me. There are so many things about God you will never understand. We're not able to. Our job is to glorify Him. Our job is to obey Him. As a parent, sometimes we tell our kids things, they're like, that is so stupid, why do I have to do that? Sometimes the, the government tells us things, and we're like, that is so stupid, why do I have to do that? As far as a parent, if you tell your child, don't do this, don't say that, don't touch that, or whatever it is, there's a reason. It may be safety, it may be teaching them manners, but the fact of the matter is you're teaching them because you love them. And Jesus, or uh, God tells us in, in Hebrews that uh, we are not to forsake the discipline that God gives us. And here in Romans, we need to understand that the potter has the power over the clay, and we will not understand everything, but this we will understand. If you are a child of God, you need to be thankful that He has saved you through Jesus Christ instead of leaving you on the path to hell, which we all deserve. You need to be thankful that He has given you His presence through His Son and through His Holy Spirit that your life would have a new heart and a new mind and a new way and a new destiny. Again, you don't have to understand it. And I can't, I can't see anybody here on earth truly saying, I understand everything about election. I can't see that. There, there's so much to it, but God is showing us that I will do what I must do to complete my task. And my task is, is to save you and bring you home. And so Judas was picked to be in the twelve, to give the inside source to the Pharisees. 
Because remember, I kept telling you, the Pharisees wanted to arrest him, but they were afraid to do so. Why? Because the people believed in him. And if the Pharisees arrested Jesus in front of all the people, the Pharisees look like the bad guy and Jesus is the hero, which makes the case even worse. They wanted to get him in secret. And every time before that they tried to get him and stone him, it never worked. And so Judas and these Pharisees work out a deal. And Judas says, I will take you to the place that you can get him without all the audience. Think about it just for a moment. If there is no Judas, there is no arrest, there is no crucifixion. If there's no crucifixion, that we are still in our sins. You know, Easter's coming quickly. That passage in 1 Corinthians, when Paul says, if there's no resurrection, we are the most to be pitied because we have put our faith in something that's not even true. And then he says those great words, but in fact, Christ Jesus has been raised from the dead. So in verse 27, after he has taken the morsel, this time about Judas, Satan entered into him. Now, there are some people that say, well, see, this proves that Judas didn't have a chance because he couldn't do anything because the devil took over. But what you need to understand is that the devil and Judas were working together all along. Judas is the one that was robbing the, the bag. Judas was the one that was causing some of the problems when we get to this point here. So it's not that uh, Judas was a good guy and the devil just overtook him. The devil and Judas were working according to the pleasures of Judas, which was money. And Jesus says, what you're going to do, do quickly. In other words, we have a timetable. It's got to happen now. Don't put this off. Let's do it. Let's get this done. No one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought, because Judas had the money bag that Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give money to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. And then look at this phrase, and it was night. What does the darkness represent in the Bible? It's evil. Jesus said in John 3, men love the darkness because their deeds are evil. And so here we see this time of betrayal. And it was night. In just a moment, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. But before we do, I want to ask you, as you are symbolically at his table right now, is your heart right with him? Or have you been betraying him in your actions, 
in your words? Is there something going on right now in your life that you need to repent of and ask God to give you a clean slate before we share this cup, which represents his body and his blood? Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all that you do. Help us to see the seriousness behind this passage. Help us to see the, the depths of emotions that Jesus had as he was troubled in his spirit. Help us to see how our love for the world drove Judas to do what seems to be so impossible to sell out the man who had proven time and time again that he truly was your son. Father, it's so easy for us to point to the sins of others. But Lord, as we prepare for this Lord's Supper, speak to our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.